by clinical trainees and for clinical trainees, this is Well-Rounded. Well-Rounded is your resource for all things healthcare, business, and policy. Your hosts are Isabel Rosenthal and Dan Arteaga. This episode is about the fight for women's health and abortion access in Missouri. With us is Dr. Colleen McNicholas, an OBGYN and current Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood St. Louis in Southwestern Missouri. Welcome to Well-Rounded. Hi guys, welcome to Well-Rounded. Today we are very excited to be talking to a leader in women's health, Dr. Colleen McNicholas. Dr. McNicholas, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to take a second to, for our listeners who maybe are not as familiar with Planned Parenthood, to sort of hear your definition of what Planned Parenthood does for communities of women in the United States. Yeah, so I think, you know, what most people immediately associate Planned Parenthood with is our work in abortion care. But the reality is, is that's really a minority of the um, the care that we provide across the country. So Planned Parenthood broadly is one of our nation's largest and most affordable providers of um, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care. And the organization of um, of Planned Parenthood is a network of individual affiliates, and each affiliate sort of covers a particular geography. And within that geography, they may have a few health centers or, you know, 20, 30 health centers. And so for us here at Planned Parenthood in the St. Louis region in Southwest Missouri, we have nine health centers that cover a geography of most of Missouri, um, as well as part of Southern Illinois. And the services that a Planned Parenthood affiliate may provide really differ from affiliate to affiliate. And I think really most importantly are focused on what the needs of the local community are. So most of our affiliates across the country provide um, both male and female um, STI testing and screening, as well as treatment. They provide contraception and then well people visits. Here in our affiliate, about 20% of the folks that we see are male patients. And so it's not a small number of patients that we see um, for some of those other visits. Some of the less lesser known services that Planned Parenthoods offer are expansive gynecologic care. So here at our affiliate, we do provide the full scope of GYN care, including surgical care. Affiliates offer transgender and non-binary care. We do have some affiliates who offer the full scope of primary care as well as prenatal care and mental health services. So as you can see, there's a whole host of things um, that Planned Parenthood provides, and it really is dependent on what the needs of the community are. Of course, Planned Parenthood is also committed and unapologetically committed to uh, providing abortion care because, in fact, that is part of the necessary Uh, reproductive health care that folks need. Um, But it is also important for people to understand that not all Planned Parenthood health centers provide abortion. In fact, it's a minority of the Planned Parenthood health centers that actually do provide that service. That's that's fascinating to me. You know, your explanation kind of highlights the fact that Planned Parenthood provides kind of a much broader spectrum of services than I think is, is generally covered in the popular media, at least. And so you are focused primarily on the state of Missouri. What challenges have you encountered in delivering high-quality care in that state? So Missouri faces many challenges when it comes to meeting the reproductive health needs of its constituents. And the truth is, again, as you noted, sort of thinking about the services that we provide, the challenges start well before an individual needs access to abortion. 
Missouri is amongst the worst in terms of both maternal and infant mortality. So I think the recent statistics are that Missouri ranks 44th. Um, We have a maternal mortality rate greater than 40 per 100,000. That's nearly double the U.S. average. And of course, just like is true across the country, our maternal mortality rate for Black women is nearly three times that. Um, So we have tremendous issues um, in the state of Missouri to try and tackle these problems. We are a non-Medicaid expansion state. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like other states in this area, there are so many sort of caveats that go along with that, right? So rural hospitals in Missouri are closing at alarming rates, which means that we have swaths of the state where people are driving more than 100 miles for their obstetric care visit. It's really hard to be a healthy pregnant person when you have to drive more than 100 miles for adopt tone in a fundal height, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, you know, that when you think about how we're going to improve the health of a community of the state, right? You have to think beyond the obvious. Can you talk to us about the history of these legislative changes that have been happening, especially in Missouri, and how sort of things have changed since 1973 when Roe v. Wade um, went to the Supreme Court? The Roe decision, which I would say next to hand hygiene, was probably one of the most important public health measures that this country has has passed. Um, It really took a health intervention from the sort of shadows and from being dangerous to being part of healthcare, where folks, at least folks with some means, could access it in a way that was safer and a little bit more dignified. Um, So that decision in 1973 um, established the trimester determination, right? So this said that in the first trimester, nobody could make any abortion regulation that it should be available as folks need it. Between the first and the second trimester, that if there was a real health and well-being of the pregnant person issue, that maybe states could make some regulation or pass some laws around that. Um, And that in the third trimester, states could only really regulate abortion in the interest of the potential life. So so this sort of really set up the first the first sort of parsing out of what abortion could look like in terms of legality. Um, Of course, in 1976 is maybe one of the most important um, abortion related developments. And that was actually the passage of the Hyde Amendment, which made federal funding uh, for abortion illegal. Um, It is not a law. It is something that is um, every year is voted on on the federal level. But it hasn't been to the last couple of years that we really have seen any movement in the progressive caucuses to eliminate Hyde, which I think would be probably the single most important economic justice development for reproductive health care that we could see in our lifetime. The next real important case which is the case that I think has set up where we are today is the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision in 1992. And this is where we see a change from the trimester language that was established by Roe to the undue burden language um, that we now live under and now have to deal with the sort of multiple consequences of that language. And undue burden really is quite subjective. So what exactly does undue burden mean, or I guess how is it used in this legislation? So basically what the decision said was that states can enact regulations prior to viability if those regulations did not cause 
a undue burden for the person seeking the abortion. So, you know, you could pass a a law or a regulation that said, for example, physicians need to have admitting privileges at a hospital. If that law didn't unduly burden the person having an abortion. Got you. Okay. So so Roe v. Wade protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose without kind of excess restriction. And undue burden is kind of the standard that we are using to define what is excess government restriction. Yeah. So Roe said you can have an abortion under these sort of divided into these categories. In the first trimester, you can have an abortion. It doesn't matter what the reason doesn't matter, you can safely do that. In that next trimester, it said the states could enact some legislation or regulation to protect the people who are seeking abortion. And in the third trimester, they could enact some regulation or legislation to protect the the fetus. Casey, on the other hand, said, wait a minute, now we're gonna say that states can enact regulation at any point in pregnancy for really any reason, so long as it doesn't pose an undue burden, make it too difficult for a patient to get an abortion. Got you. Okay. And that sort of system under undue burden is what has set us up for this web of restrictions and trap laws and consenting and waiting periods and ultrasound requirements. That whole web of restrictions and regulations that we, particularly those of us in restrictive states, are navigating all came out of this framework of undue burden. And let's talk about the restrictions that exist in Missouri, um, because I want to make sure our listeners know the process that a woman has to go through to get an abortion in your state. So from beginning to procedure, what exactly needs to take place? So the first thing to remember is that there is only one place in the state of Missouri to have an abortion. So depending on where you live, the impact of these restrictions can be amplified exponentially. If you live down the street from the clinic, then it might not feel quite so burdensome. If you live four hours away in Rolla, Missouri, um, it might feel impossible to navigate. So the first thing is just figuring out how you're going to get there. And when I say how you're going to get there, remember that Missouri is a state that has a mandated waiting period. So we have a 72-hour waiting period. And furthermore, not only do we have a waiting period, but both of those visits must be in person and must be with the same physician who will ultimately provide your abortion care. Yeah. Wow. So that sets up a real logistic nightmare for patients who are navigating time off of work and child care and privacy issues, not to mention clinic availability and when specific physicians will be in the clinic, right? So even before they step through this door, for many, it is an impossible feat to get here. Can we just define for our listeners what HB 126 is exactly? So House Bill 126 was um, Missouri's version of the abortion ban. Um, It is a sort of omnibus law that includes a variety of different abortion-related restrictions. It includes banning abortion after eight weeks with some escalating language for gestational ages as each gestational age is found unconstitutional. It also includes a ban on abortion for pregnancies diagnosed with Down syndrome or for the reasons of race or gender. It also includes some language around criminalization of self-managed abortion, um, as well as criminalization of abortion provision for physicians. 
So we know that a lot of your work has focused on improving the situation for folks who are trying to access abortions. Can you talk a little bit about what has been going on in Missouri? Sure. So this strategy by conservative and restrictive states is not new. This didn't just happen overnight. And so we in Missouri have been seeing the writing on the wall for several years. And really, Missouri is a demonstration of what happens when anti-choice folks, legislators, regulators, political appointees use all of their strategies at the same time. So certainly folks are familiar with the bans and those get lots of media attention. But Missouri is really a story of what happens when the health department, for example, over-regulates and tries to shut down abortion access through a different route. This year in particular, what we saw is the Department of Health really try and eliminate access to abortion by denying us our abortion facility license. And they did that through a variety of measures. You know, we have had an annual inspection from the Department of Health for as long as I have been practicing in Missouri, which is about a decade. And we have never had a problem with this until the last two years, where the state really sort of turned up the dial on trying to eliminate the last abortion clinic here in the state. And so, you know, they took a variety of tactics this year. For example, um, reinterpreting regulations that have been on the books for a really long time and, and doing so with such frequency that it makes it impossible for us to comply. So if they're here on Monday, they tell us we have to do it this way. They come back two weeks later and all of a sudden we're not doing it right. We have to do it another way. Obviously, there is no way to stay in compliance when they are continuously changing interpretation of the regulation. The other thing that they did was they chose to reinterpret a particular regulation that they knew would really hit to the sort of core of the ethical obligation that we have to patients. And that was in its requirement to provide medically unnecessary pelvic exams. So the state said to us, we know that on this first day where patients come for their consent that you're not doing their procedure this day, but we think you need to do a pelvic exam on this day and the day of their procedure, right? And so it really, for us, was a moment to take a step back and balance. If we say no, does this mean that we risk losing our license? And the answer was yes. But the flip side of that was if we say yes, what does that mean to our obligation to patients to not do them any harm. And really in a population of folks who have had tremendous trauma in their life, right. what would it mean to be doing unnecessary pelvic exams on folks all in the name of maintaining sort of the check boxes that the state of Missouri are requiring? And so we decided we weren't gonna do that and we were gonna risk losing our license you know, in that vein. So this I, I imagine comes to uh, a surprise for a lot of our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about your creative solution to um, what is obviously a major problem for accessing women's health in your state? Sure. So with the, the sort of experience, the last decade of experience here in Missouri, we looked to our, our neighboring state of Illinois, which is a, is a much more supportive um, environment. And we began construction on a new facility there, which we would be able to provide comprehensive reproductive health care, which includes both family planning and abortion care. And Dr. McNicholas, do you find that this is, you know, helping women from Missouri? Um, how have you seen the pattern shift from women in Missouri going to Illinois? 
are people getting the care they need now in that state? So I think, you know, uh, Missourians are pretty resourceful. Uh, <laughs> and so as as is true have been for, for people who have needed abortion mm-hmm. throughout time, right? right? You know, one of the things that I think we could say pretty consistently is with zero restrictions or with 3,000 restrictions, the number of abortions generally doesn't change, right? People still need and find ways to get it for the most part. Now, of course, your ability to do so directly reflects your means, right? Do you have a car? Do you have a way to pay for it? Can you get time off of work? How far do you live from the the clinic? All of those things are, are still true. And we see that in Illinois as well. We do still maintain services here in Missouri. Um, we offer for folks to come here or to Illinois, um, and we give them sort of a breakdown of what that care looks like in both places. And for many people, they choose to come to Illinois um, because they have the means and the resources to do so, and they can get that care for almost all of them the same day that they come. And so obviously when you have to, when you're comparing a single visit in Illinois versus multiple visits over at least a three-day period, oftentimes much more as you figure out navigating your logistics, you know, for many people, it just makes more sense to come to Illinois. And I think you're right that historically, right, women can find ways to get abortions, but that it's poor women, women of color who are ultimately the ones who are punished the most by these restrictive laws. Obviously, you have kind of a lot of challenges that you've already faced, and I'm sure even even more that are coming down the pipeline. What do you think is going to be the future of Planned Parenthood for Missouri and more specifically for its patients? So I wish I had a crystal ball so that I could tell you exactly. <laughs> it would also help with my strategic planning. Um, <laughs> the truth is, you know, without sort of knowing exactly what will happen um, and, and with the understanding that, you know, pendulums do go from one side to the other. And I think Missouri is about as far right at that pendulum that you could get. Mm-hmm. So who knows what, what the, the future will hold. But what I can say is that it most definitely includes a future where Planned Parenthood is fighting for abortion access in this state. Well, Dr. McNicholas, Planned Parenthood has obviously endured plenty of controversy and protests and um, even violent attacks that we haven't talked about. How does it feel to lead with an obvious target on your back? So, you know, the first thing I will say is I think it's a bit of a, a misconception, and this is just because of the the media cycle is less than 24 hours. You know, I, my day-to-day life doesn't feel like I have a target on my back. And, you know, one of the things I tell folks all the time when they ask me, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do, is, you know, the number one thing I think that people can do is to talk about abortion. Um, you know, the more that we talk about it and normalize it, the further we'll get away from all that hyper-politicized and um, really sort of fringe rhetoric, right? It's, it's a bit of a joke in our house whenever we go to a new, you know, a dinner party or whatever. My wife will say, can I have at least, you know, 30 seconds before you start talking about abortion? That's very generous of you. Right? You know? But the reality is, is that by talking about it, really what I have found is that I have given permission to folks who are supportive, who have been afraid to be supportive or who don't know where the right place is to talk about it. I just can't stress enough that the statistics around 70% of the country supporting abortion are real. (laughs) They are real. So if 70% of the, the country supports people having the right to choose to end a pregnancy and that that choice sits with them and them alone, then we shouldn't be in the place that we're in right now. 
And the way we get out of that is by talking about it and by letting people know that we do support access to abortion and by holding our legislators and our elected officials accountable. And and picking up on that and sort of all the issues there are that out there in medicine and healthcare um, that can sometimes feel so overwhelming to trainees where they just don't know where to start. What would be your advice to young trainees um, about how to get politically involved in issues that affect our patients? Great question. And I think young folks like you all are really starting to change how and what is included in medical education. So kudos to you all for that. Thank you. So I think some things to do. Yeah. Demand the training, right? Um, so it's it's not sufficient for your institution to not address race inequity in the care that we provide. It is not sufficient for folks to not understand what Medicaid and Medicare are. It is not, I mean, you are not fully trained if you don't understand sort of how healthcare policy impacts the care that you will ultimately provide. Um, yeah, well, that's better said than we've ever said it on this podcast. So <laughs> we completely agree. And if we could <laughs> sure. record that and play that at the beginning of every episode, that would be exactly our mission. Dan, any last thoughts? No, I think it's a wrap. Awesome. <laughs> All right, it's a wrap. 